Today's show is brought to you by Aptiv. Aptiv is a fabulous app and robust online community that allows you access to top-notch, motivating personal trainers who guide you through an audio-based workout that is timed to your choosing with fun, perfectly synchronized music. Like Netflix for fitness, Aptiv gives members unlimited access to their entire bank of high-end trainer-led workout classes. So if you're looking for fresh, high-quality, on-the-go motivating workouts that adapt to your lifestyle, I highly recommend Aptiv. In fact, if you head over to the curator playlists, you'll see a familiar face. I chose seven of my favorite Aptiv workouts so that you can get a well-rounded mix of workouts that will take you from intense cardio to restorative serenity. And these are some of my favorite workouts to do when I'm traveling or if I just have a spare 20 minutes between activities. And because they're the best, Aptiv is even offering Fed and Fit listeners a free 30-day trial when you sign up for monthly subscriptions at www.aaptiv.com. Be sure to enter the promo code FEDANDFIT, one word, at checkout in your first 30 days or on the house. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. My name is Cassie Joy Garcia. I am your host of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I blog over at fedandfit.com, have a book, uh, Fed and Fit. Man, it's the same name everywhere. I feel so redundant when I say this. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, And I'm a certified nutrition consultant that has uh, a passion for not only mindset coaching in general, but um, covering the full gamuts of what it takes to really live a confident, healthy lifestyle. So thank you so much for joining us today. I am joined by a new listener. Well, I don't know actually if you're a new listener. You're new to the show. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Her name is Casey. And I mistakenly called her Cassie when we first got on the line. And I was so embarrassed because You would think that a Cassie and a Casey are the ones that should probably be able to tell when to say the right name. Um, So Casey is joining us today for a reverse interview. And if you're a new listener here, a reverse interview, just to quickly give you a description, is when a Fed and Fit listener or reader writes in with a really excellent question. And so I, instead of answering their question via email, I like to invite them to come on the podcast and uh, to ask their question over a recorded call because I have a hunch that Casey's questions and maybe the conversation we're going to have is a really relatable one that I think it's going to resonate with a bunch of folks. So she's coming on the show. She's going to be interviewing me in some regard, and uh, we're going to have some good discussion. So to give you a little bit of background info on Casey, she lives in New Jersey. She's a Jersey girl. She's a (laughs) high school counselor, um, and she's getting married this coming October. Welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Oh, good. I'm very, I'm very excited to have you here as well. Um, well, that was just a very short introduction, but feel free to share a little bit more about yourself and what uh, maybe what's the theme of your questions for today. Uh, well, I guess uh, my theme for today, I'm <laughs> looking back at the email I sent you a couple of weeks ago, um, is basically about information overload, what is right, what is not correct, what's in between, kind of finding a middle ground and getting some advice about the different, you know, approaches to eating that are out there. Um, I had done 
you know, a paleo template type thing several years ago for a little bit of time. And I felt pretty good. I wasn't really trying to lose weight, but I lost weight. Uh, I was like the closest I was to, to being my freshman year in college. So that was pretty awesome. And I was feeling good. I wasn't really working out at the time, but then um, I went to get my annual blood work done and my cholesterol was really high. It was higher than it normally was. I got pretty scared. I wasn't sure what to do. Um, I kind of stepped away from that paleo type template. Um, and this was relatively recently um, that I stopped doing that. And, you know, people at work, friends were, you know, talking about more plant-based lifestyle and things like that. So I gave it a try only for a few months and I just felt awful. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, everybody says, you know, plant-based diet, it's anti-inflammatory. You know, we've read, you know, the China study, I've seen forks over knives and, the, you know, they have, it you know, it turns off cancer and meat and dairy turn on cancer. And so th that's a scary thing. Mm -hmm. So I, but I was eating that way and not feeling good at all, like <laughs> really not good, bloated, miserable. Um, I had gone to a GI because I was just getting so bloated and the blood test came negative for celiac, but there was some other protein in there that I was sensitive to. So the doctor recommended that I not have gluten um, limited gluten. And so then I started thinking, what am I supposed to do here? Like what is right? What is not right? I know I'm a grown up and I should be able to make my own decisions, but, um, I kind of just wanted, cause there's so much conflicting information, you know, China study, paleo, everything in between. Yeah. What's, what should I do? What is the deal here? Oh man, Casey, I feel <laughs> your pain. I don't know how familiar you are with my story, but my last stop on the diet train before I hopped onto uh, the paleo way of thinking was veganism. I was a I was mm -hmm. a vegan for almost a year, and I was just like you. It was my last. Well, I I guess I went there before paleo, but I had to give it mm -hmm. a go because there was what I thought so much compelling information out there. Um, I, yes. <laughs> I, I had read, I read the China study mm -hmm. and I read how to prevent and reduce heart disease by Dr. Esselstein. And I started following, uh, Rip Esselstein, who's a firefighter in Austin, Texas. And he runs the engine two mm -hmm. diet where it's, you know, it's that huge, uh, fire firefighting, uh, house. And he was the, you know, they all do a lot of cooking there and he got yes. all the firefighters to go vegan and some of their health markers turned around. And so it was this huge, very compelling argument. And I jumped in as well. And just like you, I felt worse. I don't know if I'm putting, maybe putting words in your mouth a little bit. <laughs> no, I didn't but, feel, I felt worse. Yes. Yeah. I, I felt, I personally felt worse than ever. Um, and it was, and it was very, and it was a disconnect because I was so convinced that I was doing the right thing that it took me even longer to, to kind of have a wake-up call that it wasn't working for my body. Mm -hmm. um, well, does, does that make sense? You know, that kind of when you're so convinced that you're doing the right thing that you're kind of blind to uh, what's actually presenting itself? Yeah. I mean, how could you be doing something 
harmful, you're, you're eating plants, right? You know, <laughs> you're eating a bunch of vegetables and you're, and everyone's talking about, I have so much energy. I feel so awesome. And I just didn't, I, I was getting like, I mean, I bruise easily anyway, but I was, I was bruising. Yeah. I was exhausted. I was bloated. I'm like every, you know, someone at work was totally switched. Like cold Turkey was on it. She feels awesome and great. And mm-hmm. I guess that's her, mm-hmm. but, um, it's not, it wasn't working for me. Yeah. But you know, I think, um, it was forks over knives when the, uh, the documentary that I watch when they talk about the China study and turning on and off cancer. And I mean, no one wants to think that they're doing something to their body that would cause it harm potentially in the future. So that was kind of the thing I was, you know, that stuck with me for the whole thing. Well, I, you know, I should just keep going. Maybe I'll start to feel better. I'm eating vegetables. I'm eating grains. Like I'm not eating dairy was sparing Mm -hmm. for me. Um, but I just, that, that was what was in the back of my mind. And I'm like, I, is it true? Is it not true? And then you start looking to try to find different research for, you know, cause like you said, it's very compelling information that's in the China study. Um, there was another book that I was reading called, uh, how not to die. And mm-hmm. so it goes over all of the, like the 15 top ways people die. And it's by a medical doctor. I, I'm, I'm at a loss for his name at this point, but, um, it was also very compelling. And I was thinking, and you know, the whole idea of you can prevent these things from happening. You can reverse damage you've already done was, you know, particularly appealing to me. And I was just feeling like you're saying totally disconnected because I'm supposed to feel awesome and great and I'm making myself healthy, but I feel miserable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there's a lot, man, let's unpack this because there's a okay. lot, there's a lot we, we can talk about. Uh, so first and foremost, Let's first address the fact that I'm just going to say veganism to be on the extreme, but even vegetarianism. Um, so, and if I would assume most folks are familiar with the difference, but if you're vegan, then you eat no animal products whatsoever. Whereas a vegetarian, uh, some of them will eat dairy, some of them will eat, I think, eggs. Uh, mm-hmm. depending. And then, for example, a pescatarian would eat just fish, but a vegan will not eat anything that has to do with an animal. So there's no dairy, there's no egg, there's no honey, for example, because that's made by an animal. Um, so it's just plant-based products. So I first want to address the fact that, is it vegan or vegetarian that your friend is, that you guys are following? Um, mo- well, I mean, I'm not doing that <laughs> anymore. Okay, you were. Yeah, I, I had to stop because... Yeah. I just, I gave it time. I just wasn't feeling the benefits of what all these other people were feeling. Um, but I actually have two friends with, that were very influential. My friend at work is mostly doing vegetarian, um, some, some dairy here and there. Um, another friend of mine and, um, her husband, her baby, she's also a doctor. Um, they're vegan. Okay. So they, they don't do any animal products at all. Got it. Okay. So the reason why that might work for one person but not for the next is mm-hmm. very much to do with your genetic predisposition, which it sounds like you have a really good idea of already. Um, you know, it just and it just goes down to those. It's that individualistic, you know, that bio individuality that term that you mm-hmm. may have come across rattled around recently. What you are, your constitution in terms of 
how you were made, your ancest, uh, ancestry has a lot to, to go into this. You know, whether you were, it has a lot also to do with, um, I'm coming across some more recent research, the things that your mother ate when you were oh. in, in the womb can, and can actually express certain genes and make you, for example, more or less carb tolerant. It has something to do with your ancestry and the genes in general, but they can also be turned on and off depending on lifestyle factors. So there's a ton of variables out there and it <sighs> is an impossible thing to just succinctly nail down. So what it comes down to is, you know, well, what, what answers in what, um, I guess what to listen to. There's so much compelling information out there on, mm-hmm. on not just two sides of the equation, but 47 sides, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many different answers out there. At the end of the day, how do you know what to follow is you have to look within. And I don't mean to sound too woo woo or cheesy, but <laughs> you know, you really hold the compass to your ideal nutrition. Um, and what we have to do is get really good at listening to our bodies and trying to extract nuggets of information, uh, nuggets of nutrition science, nuggets of what we think makes sense and resonates in our mind um, for our bodies, give it a go and test it out and pay attention to what does and does not work. In the Fed and Fit book, um, I'm talking about like, how do you design this perfect ideal nutrition program? Well, who do you work for? You know, who does that for Mm -hmm. you? And my line in there was, you're hired. It's got to be you. It has to be. You're the only person. Nobody knows you like you do. So because you are such an individual in terms of your genetic constitution and in terms of your your previous lifestyle from even when you were just a tiny little baby fetus, you know, when you were so little, there were things that happened that set you up to be a very unique individual, but nutritionally, you have very, very unique needs. So what works if veganism and being a vegetarian may work for one person but not for the other, that has a lot to do with it. So I just want to address that off the bat. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I think this is, I gosh, I was listening to a podcast recently and this was so well put and it was one of those obvious aha moments. Um, medicine, for example, nutrition science, for example, it, mm-hmm. is, it is a practicing science which is very different from an actual science, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. an actual science is, for example, physics, or yes. you know, you're able to look at something and you're able to actually test it and see it. Um, you, can, you can very succinctly determine the laws of physics, whereas a practicing science is just that. We're practicing. We're trying to figure it out. We're throwing darts on a board and sometimes we can't even see the board, but we're going to throw something out there and see what sticks, mm-hmm. right? And so when it comes to the world of nutrition, Rob Wolf, I don't know how, if, how familiar you are with his work, but he, I, and I have quoted this presentation, I probably quoted it a <sighs> dozen and a half times on this podcast because I just think it's such a good visual. I'm just such a sucker for visuals. But he said, uh, this was several years ago, but he was talking about how Um, And I will directly address the China study and all those in a second. Mm -hmm. But he was talking about how when it comes to optimal nutrition, right, this idea of nutrition science being a practicing science means that while we're doing our best to figure out what is that optimal solution, how are we going to really thread that needle? What we're doing is we're throwing darts at a board and 10, now probably 15 years ago, veganism was what we, the greatest minds 
in nutrition science thought, yep, this is it. The answer for optimal nutrition is a plant-based diet. And then time goes on and we see if that sticks. We practice it. We use this in large subsets of population. Lots of people follow it, like yourself. And it works for some and then it doesn't work for a bunch of other folks. And so mm -hmm. what are they left to do? Is they're left to kind of pick up the pieces that they've got and, and reassess, go back to the drawing board, go back to studying nutrition science and going back to figuring things out. And that's when ancestral health and ancestral nutrition came up and came that idea of going, you know, rewinding the clock and let's eat the way that we're really designed to eat. Um, and that's where the paleo movement originally came from. And so we're, and what we're doing is even though, you know, if, if optimal nutrition is at the center of a dartboard, mm -hmm. we're, we still haven't sit, we still have not hit a bullseye, you know, we're, but we're getting closer. Veganism, for the most part, is widely considered by the leading nutrition sciences scientists today, not necessarily in the paleo primal movement, but across the board as having moved a little bit on the outside, a little bit further in is going to be that paleo primal mark and a little bit closer to the center is going to be that concept of bio-individuality. So even though paleo primal is a, maybe a more, I guess, it's a solution that makes the most nutrition science sense according to what we know today mm -hmm. versus vegetarianism or veganism, still may not be the bullseye. So that's the whole idea of a practicing science. And that's why there's so much dang information out there. When you sit down and you Google it, now the internet has been around for a very long time. And so we're pulling up these very old articles. And, 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 and it's difficult. It's compelling when you're listening to these medical doctors talking about how they believe scientifically that veganism is the way to go. Um, and so it's hard to sort through that information. And so what I say is going back to what I said before, it really has to go, you really have to make decisions based off of your personal experience. So I would go with that number one, listen to your body. And then something I want to touch on when it comes to the anti-inflammatory benefits of a plant-based diet. Okay, so let's talk about anti-nutrients for a hot minute because mm -hmm. I think this is interesting and this is something that's kind of missed on the plant-based movement. So um, I was recently traveling with my friend Diane Sanfilippo. We were up in Vancouver and she put this so well that I'm going to borrow it uh, <laughs> from her. But she said um, it was essentially the idea of every single every single food out there, right? Everything that could mm -hmm. end up on our plate as food from nature has some sort of, of a defense mechanism, right? And mm -hmm. so when it comes to plants, or you can think of uh, a cactus. Onions. Onions, yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. It, makes your, it makes your eyes water. Um, nuts, right? They ha they're, they're difficult to digest, right? Because we have those mm -hmm. phytonutrients. We have those uh, anti-nutrients just to call it blanket across the board. So we've got these things that are, that disrupt digestion. They cause gas, they cause some kind of discomfort. Um, when it comes to grains, we have those same kind of anti-nutrients available and white rice, for example, is really just a hack, right? Mm -hmm. At trying to get as many of those anti-nutrients out as possible. So we're left with something that's, you know, not going to bother our system as much, but every single plant matter has some sort of a defense mechanism. And some of them are easy to 
pull apart. So when you think about cactus, for example, right, the prickly uh-huh. prickly pears out there, their their defense mechanism, a lot of that is tied up in the actual structure of the. Oh my gosh, that's gonna calm the pokey things, but that's <laughs> really gonna make me sound smart. <laughs> um, you know, in in the oh gosh, the pokey things. Look, I'm just gonna leave look, it. I'm at a loss at this point. <laughs> <laughs> in the the, the, the spikes, those? needles. The, the needles. <laughs> oh, that's probably what they're called, the needles. Okay, so, you know, their defense mechanism, most of that in terms of uh, the actual food itself, I don't know if you, I don't know if y'all are familiar with this, but we eat cactus down here in Texas, at least, um, is, yes. it's, you know, it's, it's in the needles. So the mm-hmm. actual food itself usually has less anti-nutrients in it because the defense mechanism was physical. So for mm-hmm. plants that don't have a, as, as much of a, physical defense mechanism, they're going to have a chemical one. Now, animals have a defense mechanism as well, right? And mm-hmm. what is their defense mechanism? Uh, for, for animals? Yeah, it's the fact that they can yeah. get away from you. Away from them. Yeah, they can run, they can... Exactly. A number of things. Exactly, you know, exactly. All the different variations across all the different animals... But for the most part, they can move away from you. And so that's kind of the fact that they're mobile. They have a physical, uh, you know, way of defending themselves from being eaten. So when it comes to what happens is, is a lot of the times these, what, what I would largely consider to be an inflammatory food is one that just based on my nutrition science research, right, is one that has a higher concentration of anti-nutrients in the actual food itself. Uh-huh. Okay, so where do those show up in? Those show up in a lot of plants. Uh-huh. Plants are very difficult to digest, and they can be very difficult to digest. There are some folks out there that are champions at it, and those yeah. are also probably the people who do well on a vegan type lifestyle. But I argue that those folks are the minority, definitely not the majority. So that's kind of how I want to talk about anti-nutrients. Now, the China study itself, to directly address that, um, I recommend anybody who's been curious about the China study or maybe you've read it or you've heard a bunch of folks talk about it, I would sit down and start... Uh, if you want to jump down an interesting Google rabbit hole, uh, that would be a good one. But essentially, the data, to give, it, give you a nutshell representation of what happened, is the data set that composed the China study um, and all of the health claims that came from it were severely interpreted with a bias. Okay. So um, there was, I think it started... It all, you know, it was kind of like a sweater that just slowly became unraveled. Uh, But the things started to come apart when there was this data junkie miner, and she just, and I'm blanking on her name. But you know what? I'll try to link to the article in the show notes so other folks can find it too. Um, Make a note of that study debunk. Um, But anyways, what she did is she had no affiliation with being pro or against China study. She just really enjoyed data. Mm-hmm. And so what she did, the China study data is all, uh, um, it's available to the public. So she jumped in and she did her own analytics on it. And the correlations that she drew were very different than the ones that were reported in the book. Okay. And so it just was really interesting. You kind of have to then think, 
what is the agenda of some of these studies? You know, just kind of like there was the recent article that came out about how, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, about coconut oil? Yes, about coconut oil. Uh, yes. And for folks who maybe not be super familiar with that, uh, what was it, USA Today, mm-hmm. I think is the one who published it. And they what they used for credibility was the American Heart Association is giving the recommendation. But what they said is that the leading scientists have now said that coconut oil is bad for you. And if anything, because it's got so much saturated, I'm paraphrasing, but because it's uh-huh. got so much saturated fat in it, um, like animal fat, that folks recommend that maybe a better alternative would be vegetable oil. Oh, no. And that was that was the final claim. And goodness, I had family members texting me this article so that they could educate me on the latest breaking <laughs> science. And um, it was interesting because I think that what we found very quickly, because folks dug into it, is I would really like to see who funded those studies. And guess who funded them? Something having to do with vegetable oil. Yep, it was the canola oil industry. Mm-hmm. And and that's probably because they are directly threatened by the health claims of coconut oil, and they're trying to you know that those marketing dollars and those R and D dollars, uh, the lines between the two got a little fuzzy. So what it does is it causes you to stop and think, what is the agenda behind this claim, right? Because everybody's got something out there that they're trying to push. So who's sponsoring it? Who's behind this? And the China study has really turned out to be this big conspiracy. And I don't know that I ever really found a distinct answer on it. But it, what it does, mm-hmm. it gives you a healthy cause to pause and question where are these claims actually coming from. So anyways, that's kind of something to think about. China study, I would say at this point, is outdated. Okay. Um, in terms so you're going to you're gonna link to that article? Yeah, so I can. I can I'll it. see if I can find it for sure. And is there, I mean, you had mentioned Rob Wolf. Would I read his first book, the most recent book that had, because I, you know, I like to read about, you know, research and all kinds of stuff like that. So not like an anti-China study, but, you know, he which one of his books would be best that goes into the research kind of behind the nutritional benefits of the paleo template? Yeah, I would say I think that his 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 first book, The Paleo Solution, is a really great stop. But again, it's at this point a little old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would go for Wired to Eat, his most okay. recent publication, and he does a wonderful job. He actually came on the show. If you're interested in pulling up that episode, and you can hear my conversation with him, um, but that would be that would be a good stop. And then I don't know if they've announced it yet, but <laughs> word on the street is that there's a paleo solution second edition coming out at some point okay where he may be updating some things but wire to eat has got a lot of really good information in there it's a slightly different topic but it'll give you some uh some research-based present uh presentation of the facts so and again these are practicing facts right it's a practicing science practicing science which is something that rob um to his credit has always done a really good job of is acknowledging that it's a practice you know, mm-hmm. and I just, and I respect it. And I think that if we're going to get advice from anybody, if we're, if we're looking for who to trust yes, when it comes <laughs> to nutrition advice, I think we need to trust people who don't make declarative dogmatic claims uh-huh. on nutrition facts. Right. And yeah. And I mean, I don't want to live that way either. Like I right. don't want to be like, I'm a vegan or I'm paleo. Like I feel like there's a whole spectrum of things in between and I'm 
a living and breathing person <laughs> that, yeah. that can that can live in that spectrum. And what I appreciate about both, you know, because you know, years ago when I had adopted the more paleo template, I you know read a lot of blogs and and books and things like that. And then same thing when I was exploring the plant based, um, I, I did a lot of reading or I drive a little bit of a distance to work. So I would listen to the books, audio books. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I appreciate about, you know, I know there's like a whole bunch of different people in between, but those two movements in particular, the message is like, you really shouldn't be trusting like the American Heart Association or, you know, a lot of like modern, well, like traditional medicine is failing people. Like, so mm-hmm. I appreciate that both camps kind of come together in that one position where like, these are not the people to trust, but that what that's kind of what led me to email you was who do you trust? Mm-hmm. I know it's tough. I would say I I think that um, you know now this is a little woo woo, but you're going to be drawn to things when it comes to information. Just like we are drawn to certain foods, there's a certain level of intuition that specifically speaks to you and what you need, mm-hmm. right? And so when you are drawn to something is of a curiosity to you when it comes to nutrition science. If you have a natural curiosity towards maybe incorporating more plants, maybe the lesson here isn't necessarily plant-based is out, but mm-hmm. um, I'm something is telling me on a very deep level that I need to make a concentrated effort to have a bunch of, of plant matter on my plates show up um, and to make that more digestion friendly, I, maybe I just need to cook it. And that's mm-hmm. something that I find a lot with folks is if if we denature some of those proteins through uh, cooking and things like that, they can be easier to get, to digest. But yeah, who to trust? It really comes. <laughs> it really comes. It's a tough. It's a really tough question to answer, um, and it comes down to who you personally are drawn to, who speaks to you. I think that a good acid test is to see if they are humble in the sense that they admit that this is a practicing science. And they're mm-hmm. doing their best and they're going to constantly try to bring you relevant information as they come across it. I would look to people who have their own personal experiences because I think that that's, that's important. You know, if, if they're not necessarily practicing what they're talking about and they're just using it in theory, mm-hmm. you know, that's a totally different game. So I would say I would for who to trust. Um, I mean, obviously, the names that I've uttered so far are folks mm-hmm. who I personally trust. Uh, but I would look for, to the people who are actually practicing what they preach. I would look to people who um, are very humble in the fact that they may not have all the answers. And I would look to people who are not afraid to speak to the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who are not afraid to say, I would look to people who use the phrase of bio-individuality. Okay. Because I think that you're probably going to get a more well-rounded answer from those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to get the people who will say it's not to deny that being a vegan works for some people is asinine. Yeah. Right. It, people are living and they're thriving and they're, you know, running ultra marathons and exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're doing something that works for them. They're doing something that works for them. Exactly. Now we don't know what their blood work looks like. Mm. We don't know what the end of their, you know, the, the longevity and all these things look like for them. But if it works for them, then it works for them. And mm-hmm. as far as we know, according to the data that we have, it works for them. And so I think that to deny that and to say that they're wrong or they have something that they're missing something or they have some sort of a sneaky disease that's going to 
that's going to creep uh-huh. up, um, I think shows a, a, some closed-minded, dogmatic perspective, just like the coconut oil article, right? Uh-huh. To vilify a single nutrient like that was absurd, right? To vilify this natural product, granted, with all things, I think people who are eating coconut oil by the spoonful every day because they think that it's a health boost, and there's folks I know who do that, um, you know, that might have been a really good eye-opening article for them if they're listening, if they're only getting their science from uh, major media. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I think that people understand that, um, that they can kind of pave their own way. Mm-hmm. So... Well- you actually brought something up that was the last part of my email. Okay. I, I I try to go every year to get my blood work done and, you know, like a wellness visit every year. And mine is this week. So I didn't know, aside from the regular panel that the doctor just runs, if there was anything that I um, should be including in my blood work so that, you know, if I were to go back next year or if, you know, like I said, I, cholesterol has been... They, the doctors always marked my cholesterol as being high, like since I was, you know, in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get, I try to get it checked every year. Is there anything else that I should have? Like, you know, I don't know if they're checking for vitamin deficiencies or anything I should include in the blood work since I'm going to be going this week. Cause yeah. I, I like the idea that I can see like my profile and see if, you know, dieting, proper nutrition, sleep, hydration, exercise, would have an impact on those numbers. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So there's a couple different schools. I'm glad you reminded me because I had forgotten about that. For the most part, I think that just a general blood panel is really good. They'll probably run a CBC and a CMP, a complete blood, oh gosh. You know, I used to work in a medical office and now I used to be able to rattle these names off all the time. Comprehensive uh, metabolic panel, I think is the CMP, and then complete blood comparison gosh Mm -hmm. someone who's an (laughs) ma or a nurse is gonna know but anyways i those two are probably usually standard i would definitely check vitamin d levels i would check b12 um they're probably going to do of course a lipid panel on you and Mm -hmm. uh, all of that good stuff test your blood sugar those are usually probably standard in your annual exam Mm -hmm. so i would i would definitely ask for the vitamins i think vitamin b12 and vitamin Mm -hmm. d are two that are usually add-ons but for the most part, I think this it brings up an interesting point. Now, if you're interested in doing an allergen profile, that's a kind of a different conversation. And, oh. you, and you might have to go to a different physician for that, but you can ask your doctor because mm-hmm. there's a bunch of different ones out there and you can see if there's one that they do typically like to order. And if there isn't, if they can recommend you to a, a an allergist or a naturopath or somebody in town that can order one for you. Um, but that's where they would then take your blood and they would see what kind of antigens you have floating around in your body right now um, that might be triggers for certain foods. Okay. Now that's an interesting deal in and of itself because usually you will only have an antigen floating around in your body if you have consumed that food in the last two weeks. I think it's a two-week window before you take the test. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, Bananas might show up as really high if you're eating a banana every morning. And for me, for example, I don't eat wheat gluten anymore because I know it doesn't do well for me. So if I were to take that test, I would probably have zero antibodies right now for gluten. 
yes. would show me as non-reactive because I haven't consumed it. So those are just kind of things to be aware of when it comes to those tests. Um, now, an interesting thing I want to talk about with cholesterol. Okay. So, and you may or may not know this, but genetically we can be predisposed to have high cholesterol, right? Mm -hmm. And there are people walking around with very high cholesterol, very high cholesterol that are mm -hmm. perfectly healthy. Okay. So now this is a conversation between you and your doctor, and I'm not trying to impose on that relationship. I'm not a medical mm -hmm. doctor, but it's important to know that, for example, my mother is one of those people who has, she just has higher cholesterol, higher. She's not, she doesn't have a 450 walking around like I know some people do. Oh, um, no. But, and, and there are people on, obviously those are outliers on the spectrum, but there are people out there with 400 plus, I believe it's 400 plus cholesterol that I've seen in that, in that article I read, um, with zero buildup in their arteries. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, anyway, so just something to be aware of. There are some people, and again, this comes down to your bio individuality. You may just be predisposed to have high cholesterol and it may be fine you may be able uh -huh. to handle it. So I would just kind of keep that in mind. I would look to your other markers, see how you, how healthy you are and the other spectrum of things. Talk to your doctor, of course. And if you're feeling good, um, that can be a pretty good indication. And if you're interested, you're really young. Uh, so I don't know if they would ever even humor this idea, but getting <laughs> some sort of a calcium coronary scan to see if there oh. is any sort of a plaque deposit. Um, and that's when, if there's a plaque deposit and you have high cholesterol, you know, the two of those related shows that the high cholesterol is problematic. Okay. But the people who have no buildup and have very, very high cholesterol, usually of advanced age, right? Because mm -hmm. they've been around long enough for that to actually happen. Um, that's when they become that really neat success story of they're just, they're just made that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's why when I had gotten it before and you know, when you get your blood work back, you know, they email it to you now. <laughs> it's like all the lab work oh. you can just get. Yeah. Like it used to be the doctor calls you, but now you get an email and you can log into your account and you can look at it. And then the doctor, you know, calls you and tells you whatever, but my cholesterol came up bolded on there mm -hmm. high. And I have a family history on both sides of cardiac disease. You know, my father had a triple bypass like a year ago his my, his brother passed away from a massive heart attack my on the both sides stroke on both so it's like very sensitive mm -hmm. to me and i like you said i i don't know if there's a correlation between the cholesterol and the you know coronary plaque buildup but mm -hmm. it's definitely something to you know it it's a sensitive spot for me just cuz i'm trying to prevent a lot of the diseases that people in my family have in the later stages of their lives, you know, from 60 on is when this stuff would start popping up. And though I'm, ma I'm many years away yeah, <laughs> from, yeah. from that, I'm trying to do what's in my best interest now to try to, you know, prevent that um, similar situations for myself. That's very smart. You know, and this is something that I'm sure you're well aware of, but for, for a very large part cholesterol that we consume isn't necessarily the cholesterol mm -hmm. that our body makes, right? That shows up on those panels. And, mm -hmm. the, and the closest correlation to that is inflammation. So I think you're so, you're just, you're on the right track, Casey, when it comes to pursuing anti-inflammatory foods, making sure that you're feeling your best 
because that's going to be a really good indication of how your body's feeling overall. What's your inflammation level overall? And constantly being aware of that, right? Getting quality Mm -hmm. sleep, quality rest, getting, taking in lots of water, you know, all those lifestyle markers, uh, eating really anti-inflammatory foods, eating grass-fed animals or pastured Mm -hmm. uh, um, poultry, things like that, that's going to have a huge impact on overall inflammation. Um, avoiding, avoiding foods that maybe are problematic to you. And that could be some, maybe that is a a good reason to get that allergy profile. Yeah. Um, but just to see kind of what foods aggravate you and try to avoid those. It really is about keeping inflammation down at the end of the day. So I think you're on the right path. And then of course, um, some sort of a fitness regimen that works well for you. That's not too Mm -hmm. stressful on the body, but yeah, I think you're, you're, you're so on the (laughs) right track. Okay. Well, I just, that, that makes me feel good. good. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just trying to do the best that I can with the information. And you had mentioned it a little bit earlier, but when I had went to, I'd gone to Google the China study and something to refute it. And it was like, everything was years ago and it might not seem like 2015 is long ago, but it's 2017. And at this time, information moves so quickly and science is moving quickly. And I just wanted something that was kind of more up to date that I could look at and, you know, make the best informed decision that I can for myself. Yeah, I think that's great. You're a smart cookie, Casey. And I think that if you just stay vigilant to finding, sniffing out who to trust and sniffing Mm -hmm. out what resonates with you as a credible source, incredible information. And then you take that and you go into a test run and you remember that your body knows better than the books know you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to find the right, you're going to find the right mix. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. <laughs> and I, I, I just got your book for the, for the Kindle. Oh yeah. I'm great. I'm really enjoying it. It's, um, I like that it's, you know, you're happy and you're approachable and it's not like you have to do these things at this time. And if you don't, you're a failure. So I definitely appreciate that. And uh, so I'll be recommending it to people who might be coming to me for information. (laughs) I don't know who would, but you know. Yeah, I bet they, I bet they will. That's so sweet of you. Thank you. I'm honored. All right. Well, thank you so much, Casey, for coming on the show today. This has been a lot of fun. I hope you, I hope it was of value to you. And like you said, I hope it offered you some good comfort. Take that and run with it. You're on the right track. All right. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for dialing in again this week. As always, you can find a complete transcript of today's show over at fedandfit.com. And if you enjoy the show, it means the world to me when you go to iTunes and you leave a review over there. It really helps get the show in front of other folks in the future. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back again next week.